Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- Four five one four two two zero. GreatNorthernElectric.com serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. Two zero six eight four two three six two zero. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance. We help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Are you a service member thinking about buying or selling your home? Whether you're active duty, a veteran, or a family member, you need a real estate professional who understands the unique challenges of the military. A Navy veteran, certified military relocation professional, prior Blue Angel, and CEO of the Repoint Real Estate Group at Keller Williams Realty Puget Sound, Scott Lever specializes in helping military families relocate to and from the Kitsap Peninsula. Call him today at 206-486-4891 or visit online at repoint.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. <clears throat> All right, we're good. Tell me who that guy is again. Oh, uh, this uh, I got this uh, from at Bumper Shoe. I was cold uh, and I ate an edible, and I was just high and very cold. And I don't handle weed well. Like I don't do weed. I'm yep. a, I drink. Like that's my vice. Drinking and really shitty fast food is are my vices. I don't really do drugs. And I was at a fest like. Was that bumper, bumper shoe? So I was like, oh, that's what the kids do. You know, they do weed. So I ate an edible and I was cold. And then I just saw this and I was just like, I'm buying it. And then everyone asked me like, oh, what is this? And I have I have, I have no idea. It just provided me comfort in my moment of need. 
That's like an LSD, uh, Homer Simpson um, meets uh, Beer Hop meets Bigfoot. Someone recently told me this looks like a weed leaf, and I don't really know what weed leaves that look looks like. looks like. like a hop from a beer. Okay, that makes me feel better because I've worn this to work several times, and if this is a weed leaf, then I'm surprised I still have the job. I'm sorry, you can't say that one word. Which word? Work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. No. No. No mention of that whatsoever. There's a couple rules here on the podcast. <laughs> couple rules. One. Don't mention work. Don't mention work. Don't. Don't fact check. At least not with the hard R. Like I got to do it with a with an easy A. <laughs> Throw that out at me. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> the See, grammatically that doesn't work. I can tell you East Coast because uh, you mispronounce bumper shoot. Oh. Bumper. Bumper. Yeah, not bumper like the cars. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I've been saying it wrong this whole time, and no one has corrected me. You must not talk to your mom too much. No. <laughs> well, actually, no, I do. Like, once every couple weeks. Uh, but, yeah, I actually am from the East Coast. I grew up in Florida. Uh, and then uh, I, I have family in Philly. Uh, so, like, even though I grew up in Florida, I would go up to like Philly in the Northeast to visit like every Christmas and Thanksgiving. But then basically grew up in central redneck Florida and then been living here for like the past four years. What do you think of Florida? It seems like all the sick fucks in the world came from Florida. <laughs> Florida is funny because like everyone always loves to like, you know, obviously like rag on Florida and shit on it. And there's always moments where I'm just like, hey, like that's that's rude. Like we're not the only crazy state. But then when I read what happens in Florida, I'm just like, okay, yeah, everyone has a point here. Like this is <laughs> seven out of 10 bad stories. Of yeah. Florida. So, so which actually, so in all fairness, in all fairness, uh, a reason why so many news stories come out of Florida, I forget where I read this and I've been trying to find it, but there's some weird law or something with the legislation in Florida where uh, the news has, there's no, nothing blocking them from having access to like criminal records and what's you know what recent crimes are so because of that that's why a lot of those crazy articles come out is because the press can very easily just be like oh let's just check what happened in the county jail oh this guy tried fingering a dog in public and then boom that that hits the so like that's one reason why a lot of crazy stuff comes out of that state but then at the same time i definitely don't find it unreasonable that people are a little extra crazy in Florida. Yeah, you were born in Puerto Rico? Yes. Yeah, and then that that's the first state over, right? That's yeah. the closest one. That's pretty much that's uh, how it all starts. I was I was born there and then uh, I think a year or two after I was born, my mom and dad split and my mom was like, I want my son to get a good education. Uh and we can't get that here in Puerto Rico, so we're gonna go out of all places. <laughs> Central Florida was where she wanted to go to get a good education. Because when you think good education, you don't think Florida no. <laughs> at all. Every That's time I tell that education, yeah, not for education, like or maybe like streets education. Like if I wanted, if she wanted her kids to learn how to shiv somebody, but not pop. not books. Yeah, they pop bottles and shiv people, right? Yeah, they math extremes. Math is huge in 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 Florida. Like most people are proud. Like every, I feel like every place has its thing that it's like, this is what we major in. This is what we bring to the table. Uh, like I feel like 
uh, like Seattle is like um, Seattle has something. <laughs> Bainbridge has something. <laughs> like, what would you say Bainbridge's thing is? Affluency uh, used to be lack of development, and you know we had so much public resources and land and stuff. But that's mm-hmm. we're starting to densify and take on more population out here. Okay, so it's, it's changing a little bit. I also think there's a lot of people that you know hit it big and then hit out here in the woods. Mm, okay, I, th- I think of Bainbridge is a very uh, communal art community too. Um, yeah, I got that vibe because this is actually uh, the first time I've ever been on the island. Oh yeah, yeah, I've been meaning to. Um, excuse me, I've been meaning to like because people say Bainbridge is nice, so I've been meaning to come out here and check it out. Uh, and as soon as I got off the ferry, like the first thing I see is the art museum. And I was like, OK, y'all, y'all don't need the flex like that, where it's just like the first <laughs> thing you want people to see is like, we know art. It's like, all right, OK. First thing I see in Bremerton is a, is like an Arby's. <laughs> that's um, it's a step up. <laughs> it's a step up. Well, Bremolo, do you know the whole Sir Mix-a-Lot and rank, ranking on Bremerton and stuff? No. In fact, to be honest, when I moved here, I didn't know Sir Mix-a-Lot was from this area. So when I found that out, that blew my mind. That and it made me sad that people associate Seattle more with Macklemore than Sir Mix-a-Lot because I feel like Sir Mix-a-Lot has done more for American culture than Macklemore has. I'm gonna go with Quincy Jones and Quincy uh, Jones is from here. And Kenny G. Are you serious? Kenny G used to live on the island. Well, Kenny G, I know he comes here a lot and performs at Jazz Alley mm-hmm. and, and uh, the Bremerton Admiral Theater. Oh, did not know about that. But I did not know Kenny G. I just assumed he just fucked with, like, uh, the Jazz Alley over in Seattle a lot. But I did not know Quincy Jones back, was from Back here. in the day when he had the bell bottom, not the bell bottoms, but the, the hammer pants and stuff like that, mm-hmm. he was deep in the music scene all over in Seattle. And I think he went to Franklin High School. Okay. Yeah. I don't really know the high schools uh, well. How long have you been out here? Uh... Actually, let me correct. I don't know the high schools. <laughs> let me point that out. Uh, uh, for, how long I've been here? Four years since August. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you split on us for a spell, didn't you? Decided to leave for a bit? Um, no. Here, no. Well, so there was a brief period where I was considering moving to Chicago. Uh, that was last year. And then kind of realized it just wasn't the right time uh, to make a move. Uh and I'm glad I didn't. Uh, things this year has been a real pivotal year for me, comedy wise. And like, uh, I was able to kind of sometimes it's better, like, sometimes you hit a point where it's important to take your bags and go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes there's uh, there's moments where you just need to like stay where you're at and build yourself and use the opportunities that are just now coming to you to like build and get better. Yeah, you uh, can't hide from problems by moving either. Exactly. Uh, and I fi- I'm a firm advocate for, like, if if you're down to move, move. But uh, at the end of last year, I just kind of realized that I was tr- – my brother, he had a good analogy for it where he was like, you're trying to move to go climb a mountain when you haven't even finished climbing the one you're on. Right. And I was like, damn, like, this is too deep for Applebee's right now. Uh, but – it, I realized that, so I so I stayed, and I'm glad I stayed because uh, I was able to get a lot of a lot of good stuff this year, like being in being in sick, as well as uh, 
uh, just been like regularly doing shows, not only here in the Seattle area, but Bellingham, Olympia, Tacoma, go down to Portland a lot, uh, Bellevue as well. Uh, but uh, n- never actually like split. Yeah, I think I've I've been there was like that was the closest to like leaving, but then still here, still here. Nice. That's a good analogy too. I think about it. I have a son that plays soccer, and we got to travel all the time mm-hmm. for these games. And I'm like, can we see if we can just beat up on the kids in our own neighborhood a little bit <laughs> before I take this three hour drive to this game to beat up on some kids I don't know about? So you you kids play sports? Yeah. Are okay. you the type of are you the type of parent who like if like the the game's going on and someone tries to start shit with your kid that you're just like, "All right, cool. I'm going to get in a fight with a parent tonight." Like, are you that type of parent or Nope. He he's independent. He handles himself and Okay, so if your kid gets in a fight, you let them fight on their own. You're just like, "No, we're not tagging in." Yeah, I think he's too clever to even step into that realm. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's avoidance is half the battle. Because that's, I I don't have any kids, but that's one of my fears of like if I have kids and then I'm at a sporting event like that and then just that happens where like uh, one of the parents gets very upset with me and now I got to fight a stranger because of what a smaller version of me did. Like that's not fair. I should, my kids should learn how to fight their own battles. They fight that kid and then they fight the parent of that kid. Like that's, I don't have to be a part of that just because I created the kid doesn't mean I have to associate the fights too. That's no. No. I think it's just ugly behavior on the sidelines sometimes. Yeah. I, I think there's enough, at least out here, there's enough education of the parents mm-hmm. to to let them know that, you know, it's not about you <laughs> at all. <laughs> you ain't playing the game. <laughs> You're just the driver, the school bus driver. Take him to the game, him <laughs> or her, drop him off, say, here's your reward for working so hard during the week. It's now like, you get to play the game. It's like, just bring the juice boxes. Don't bring... <laughs> don't bring hands to well, throw. Well, that's the other thing, too. You can get into all the the snack drama. What you doing bringing Krispy Kreme I've to heard a sporting, of that. sporting event? I've heard of that, how it just like, it's like, oh, like people get very like defensive about the food they bring and stuff. It's like, it's just children. They just want sugar. Yeah, that's sugar's a battle. Xbox and sugar, those are <laughs> battles I was not prepared for. Are you trying not to let your kids have a lot of sugar or anything like that, or...? Wait, I guess first question: How many kids do you have? I got one. You shout got out one? to Vincenzo. <laughs> I like how you shouted out your own kid. That's that's great. That's yeah. yo. Shout out to my seed. That's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to the wife, Ellie. Love you. Uh, Mom's thinking about you. <laughs> uh, shout out to my son, uh, disposable income. I love you. <laughs> You're doing great. Well, you're I'm not sorry, doing I'm, great. You could be better. Yeah, I'm unfamiliar with that term. Can you hit me? Disposable <laughs> income is pretty dope. Uh, actually, I have two kids. Disposable income and uh, eight hours sleep. It's pretty great. Uh, sleep's important. Yeah, sleep's sleep sleep's hella important. Uh, but anyway, sorry. Uh, back to so you're trying not to have your kid uh, have a lot of sugar. Right. Okay. But every holiday is now a sugar holiday. Oh, yeah. You know, it's uh, September and you got the Christmas candy out and, you know, Halloween's over and all of a sudden Valentine's candy comes out. Mm. I feel like I'm not going to invest in Google or Amazon or something like that. It's going to be Brock's candy and uh, Hallmark (laughs) cards. You know, (laughs) like even the cards have changed into edible cards of candy. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, happy birthday, chocolate bar. 
Now, are you not wanting your kid to have sugar because you're just wanting your kid to be healthier? Or yeah, I, w- I want to fuel him for success, and I, w- I want to do the same for me. I, w- mm-hmm. I want to have a strongly plant based diet, and uh, mm. you know, hit the water and do the healthy lifestyle. So <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm ticking on that clock of time, and you know, I want to be around to see as much as of this as possible. Right, life is fleeting; it's short. That's uh, it's, it's funny because that's the most Washington thing I've ever heard. Because uh, in Florida, it's just like, well, I'm getting a super size at McDonald's, so is my son. Like, it's, so I think that's great. I think that's great that you're like, no, like I want to have a healthier lifestyle, and you know, hopefully that influences my child. That's great. Because where I come from is just like, I'm gonna get a triple baconator. And then Ugh. for my son, like obviously it's a child, so my child can't have a triple baconator. It'll have the single baconator. That's what my child's gonna have. All right, we didn't. <laughs> we re- in our household, we all eat grease together. <laughs> <laughs> I did not like the fried food. He, Vinny's been a vegetarian for over two years, so I don't see how he can get the grasp of healthy lifestyle and then. I just add a couple bags of candy to that. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, well. I mean, your kid, got, your kid's like the, gotta have some some sort of a what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's gotta have some sort of release. Well, you know? life's balance, right? Yeah, you know, for whatever you do, and however far you lean that way, you gotta you gotta balance it out. It's life's a teeter totter. Yeah, because if you come like if your if your son is you know a vegetarian, then you know that's great. But and it has occasional ca- candy, that's fine. But like yeah, if you come home and your son's like snorting uh, like sugar off a table, then yeah, that's that's where the problem <laughs> comes in. I seen it, pop rocks kids doing them lines of pop rocks. <laughs> so you're 26. We we gotta get off this kid topic. <laughs> Okay, yeah, fair yeah. enough. You keep practicing. <laughs> don't go down that kid route till you figure your life out a little bit. Oh, no, don't worry. I, I practice safe sex, which is uh, I just leave the room. <laughs> I'm just I do, like, too. It's by myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, what? Intercourse? Ew. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Oh, and then there's feelings involved, all that. Oh, and I'm, uh, according to uh, my friends who are, like, hella into astrology, I'm a cancer, which means I'm just a hotbed for feelings. Uh and uh, I want to say that's not true, but I listened to too much Drake for that not to be true. So, yeah. Shout out to my feelings. Nice. I'm not a Drake fan. Are you not? No. I think he's borderline a little bit with the, the young girls. <laughs> I want to say you're wrong. <laughs> well, Kiki, <laughs> that, uh, he changes the name of each, each verse to a different girl that mm-hmm. he's been with. And one of those girls is uh, a model of some famous person. Mm-hmm. And they've been blowing up on Instagram for about three years, and she just turned 18. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so okay, now little, I'm on the same page of what you're saying. Yeah, little yeah. backstory on Drake. That, yeah, that's it's 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 definitely uh, – that's been something that me and a, a couple other comics who were all big hip-hop fans uh, and were all big Drake fans. Uh, that's one thing where it's just like when that came out, I was like, Drake's dating an 18-year-old. At first we were like, well, you know, that's weird because, you know – uh, nothing against, you know, age difference at all, but it's just like, okay, like, Drake, you're in your 30s, 18-year-old, and then you find out that, like, they already knew each other for the past couple years. Yeah. And just like it's dirty. Like, not saying that, like, oh, Drake did something while she was underage, but it is weird that, like, he was just scouting for a couple years, I'm, and then... I'm just saying an R. Kelly song comes to mind right now. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, 
that and then like the fact that like he's on t- he's like texting the girl who played Eleven. Yeah. Oh my. Like texting her like dating advice and stuff like that. It's like Drake, you're a grown ass man who most of your songs are about breakups. First off, I don't care <laughs> who the person is. Where do you get off giving dating advice? Right, right. And two, why are you giving dating advice to underage people? Like I I anytime I get in a conversation with anyone who's like not 18, like it's just it's just giving directions. Like hey, the Chuck E. Cheese is over there and I right. go off on my own way. Uh, the fact that he's like texting, like he was texting her, like, oh, like, I miss you. And she's like, oh, I miss you too. And it's just like, oh, here's dating advice. And it's just like, that's, that's weird, Drake. So that's how he writes his songs through text. <laughs> through, through text. So if you're listening to this and you're a Drake fan, uh, just think of Larry King. That's what. <laughs> That's what Drake's gonna wind up looking like. Yeah, just end, just ten divorces. Try to enjoy these past, co- <laughs> these next couple of months before everything gets revealed in, in next year or something. You gonna see Drake on those late night infomercials selling, <laughs> selling stuff like Larry King. He's in some music studio. Is Larry King like date like really young women? Yeah, and he's had like ten wives. He, uh, he's just he's just not good. Damn, at it. Larry King slinging dick around town. Okay, yeah, he, good for him. He's he's a coxman. I just assume a guy who looks like he got busted out of a sarcophagus doesn't really get around. But you know, good for Larry King. Yeah, you know, it's the next step down from Hefner, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Hefner, Larry King, and then like who's another Burgess creep? Meredith? Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's the scale. The Coxman scale. Okay, this podcast is just it's going in the toilet quick. We were <laughs> talking about my family and giving shout-outs to pedophilia and divorce. That's my bet. That's my bet. <laughs> no, it's all good. So you're about 26, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been doing comedy for a little grip now, five, uh, six five years? Five years. Five years. What five made years. you decide to not to make money and get booed and <laughs> stand all alone next to the stool in a glass of water? Uh, having a crippling addiction to attention uh, <laughs> ever I since it. I was a kid. Uh, no, growing up, I was always uh, very uh, obsessed with stand-up. Uh, I did drama uh growing up and I was always like I I act I went to a performing arts school so like I was always in the theater productions and I always acted Is that school in Florida? Uh yes. Uh uh so uh yeah did those and I always liked performing. I loved the the attention of like being on stage or entertaining people and I was always a kid who like I was like the class clown trying to crack jokes in class things like that and I remember like third or fourth grade I had an aunt bring for like uh every all the family got together for like thanksgiving or christmas or some shit like that and she had a bootleg tape of uh like a george lopez special Mm. uh and we watched it and that was like the first time i i'd seen one stand-up special before but i was too young to really grasp what i was watching but then after watching that it kind of clicked in my brain like oh this is something people can do like this is something where you just get on stage and you say words and then people laugh uh and then in middle school i kind of uh there was like this app where it was like a pandora kind of app but it wasn't pandora and you could have there was like a station for stand-up so i was always Mm -hmm. like every day instead of listening to music i was listening to stand-up and like uh, throughout high school, it's basically the same thing, like listening to that or just re-listening to stand-up albums that I love, watching specials whenever I could, and just trying to write my own jokes, uh, like in a notepad on my um, 
iPod Touch and uh, trying to come up with jokes. And then basically I kept being stand-up obsessed until it throughout college. And I never – I always wanted to try it, but I never had the – I was just – I never had the courage to. And then finally uh, – my junior year of college, there was like this talent show, and one of the guys in the talent show uh, did stand up. And all of my best friends, they were like, "Bro, like that can be you mm-hmm. next year if you get off off your ass and start doing stand up." And I was like, "Nah, man, like I don't know, I like uh, this is that." And like you're just making excuses, like go do it. Right, and I, you got to jump in the pool. Exactly. Uh, and that summer went to an open mic. Uh, and I remember it was like a mixed open mic. So it was not, it was like stand up, but then also poetry, poetry yeah. and then like music. And I remember the person I had to follow was like this, uh, six year old woman, uh, who, who had piano and she wore like one of those like multicolored kind of sweaters that you see in like an old school AV club kind of video if that makes sense uh and her name was keyboard kelly uh and i remember watching that and i was just like Ugh, i don't know if i can follow that like yo like keyboard killer kelly killing it she was killing that open mic uh shout outs to you kk uh it's hard to follow some people right it's it's you know that was the first lesson in stand-up that i was gonna have was how do you follow the greatness of that is keyboard kelly in tampa florida uh but I went up and my set went well, or I take that back. It went better. Like whenever someone tries stand up for the first time and they said, oh, I did great. What they're actually saying is I did a lot better than I thought I was going to. So in my mm-hmm. mind, killed it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I got immediately addicted to it. And uh, I try, I the next four times that I tried stand up at an open mic, just ate shit. Like <laughs> did not do well at all and then the the next time that i went it was like that final time where i was like all right you know what maybe stand-up's just not for me at least i right. was able to say that i gave it a shot and then that set went well enough for me to be like all right like you're over the hump I'll, I'll keep at it and then rest is history uh now you're paid regular at comedy underground yeah i'm regularly uh regularly at the comedy underground either hosting or uh like doing spots there uh i i'm at laughs comedy club a lot um i've done parlor a couple times uh and uh i've done jokers out in eastern washington uh done college shows done indie shows uh and then now in the seattle international comedy competition uh and it's been great it's been great there's been a lot of highs a lot of lows like if there's anyone ever listening, you're like, oh, I want to, tr- I want to try stand up. I want to do stand up. Uh, take my advice, don't do it. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't do that to yourself. That's you're a better person than that. Uh, and also, don't do it because there's enough people trying to do stand up. How dare you take stage time for me? Uh, but so comedy right now, if I can interject, it's it's in a weird time. I'm I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. stand up, um, and I want to try. It's on my bucket list. So it's poetry actually. Mm-hmm. Writing a song is another one I want to do. Um, hopefully I get all this done before I pass on, but what, what's your process look like? Do you, did you start out like trying to write three minutes, five minutes, 15, Mm -hmm. just accumulating a couple of jokes? Do you have time that you set aside 
to joke right or plagiarize other people. <laughs> That's kind of what I do. Uh, so the average open mic set here in Seattle is three minutes. Right. Uh, it's rare that you'll go to an open mic and it's longer than that. Uh, and over time, you start to learn what your writing style is and like how you write best. Most people uh, do like kind of like what you said, where you, they kind of like at least once in that, like an hour a day or an hour a week, what have you, uh, they'll sit down and write jokes, uh, which is theoretically what everyone should do. Uh, one thing I've learned, or at least right now in this moment of my stand up career, uh, what's been working better for me is I'll cut, like come up with idea and then try to like figure out what direction I want to go with. And then even if it's a very vague or open idea, I'll just go on stage at a mic and just force myself to figure it out. Like I'll know what point A is and I'll have an idea of what point B is. And then I'll just let myself on stage figure it out because my brain works best when it's in the moment and I'm not allowed a second to second guess myself. Uh, and I just kind of like, I'll go on stage. I'm like, all right, this is how it's going to end. So I'll say the setup and then just kind of throw out different punches or tags in the middle. And then I'll try to end on what I'm assuming the big punchline is going to be. Uh, and then like all comics, like video, either audio, audio record or video record their set. So I'll, I'll go back, I'll listen to it. I'll try to figure out where the biggest hits are. And then from there, I'd be like, okay, I think this is what the joke is. And then from there, basically do craft the same thing. Yeah, it. craft it and build it and try to add new tags to it. And if sometimes there's moments where, like, and these are the best, where you try out a new joke and it's just, like, instantly. Like, you got your setup and you got the big punchline. And it's just like, oh, cool. Like, boom. I already have the joke constructed, like, off the first couple of tries. Like, this is amazing. Like, I have a new bit. And it didn't require any work. Sometimes that happens. Most of the time it's you get the premise, it kind of works or it works enough for you to be like there's something there. And then you either sit down and write or you just keep like going on stage trying to try different angles, try to figure it out, listen to your set, figure out what's what's causing the laughs. Like is it uh, a physical thing you're doing? Is it the way you're saying it? Uh, is the, like, is the joke not working as well because you're not wording it right? Like, does it need more words? Does it need less words? Because there's a, there's definitely a thing in comedy where the longer you're taking to get to the punchline, the funnier that punchline has to be. So oftentimes when you're trying to think of a joke and you think of the punchline, oftentimes you have to figure out what is the most efficient way to get to that punchline. What requires, like, theoretically every joke you do, if it's a finished joke, Every word you're saying in that setup to get to the punchline is a absolutely required word. Like if there should be no unnecessary words, you shouldn't be like every word is like like the necessary building block for it. Like you it's just like like you're not going to have like a room and just have a random ass bidet in the middle unless it needs that. So that's kind of like joke structure is kind of the same. Like every word you're saying every cadence the way you're moving your body the way you're looking should all be required like stuff that makes that punchline hit so yeah. like when writing like i'll kind of first start off with is this idea funny and, and is there a punchline and then once i get that then i kind of figure out okay the what's in between the, yeah the in between how do i word this how can i cut out some words because Sometimes you'll come up with a new joke and it'll be two or three minutes long. But then by the time that joke has been ironed out, 
it becomes a minute. It becomes like 30 seconds, depending on what type of style you have. And sometimes that's frustrating because you're like, oh, I got a new three minutes. And then it turns out you actually have one new minute. But the, the good thing about that is that you cut out all of the fat. Like you mm-hmm. cut out all of the unnecessary stuff. And then what you really have is that core chunk that actually makes the joke good. Like yeah. what actually makes it great. You get rid of that Baconator. Exactly. You get, you get rid of the Baconator. You you get rid of all of the unnecessary shit that's going to cause your heart to stop. And you just have that that beef, what you really came for. You see what I did there? That was a, call, that was a call <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah, it was a callback. Yeah, look at <laughs> See, you, I'm learning. Yeah, you know how it works. Yeah. You know how it works. No, no I don't. <laughs> I tell jokes all 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 the time to a silent audience. <laughs> no laughter. Or they just go, that's wrong. That's so wrong. How can you say that? Um how much material you got right now, you think? Um polished good stuff. Could you do an hour? So, can you do a half hour? Yeah, I can do a half hour and I could probably even do so like yeah, I can do uh, probably up to 45, uh, but the reason why I'm not saying it confidently is because, one, I'm also very self-critical, uh, and I'm someone who... I was actually talking to this uh, to a fellow comic. Shout out uh, to Alyssa Yellman. Uh, we were talking about this yesterday where like often there's comics who, when they come up with a new joke, they're like, oh, this is adding on top of what I have. And this year has been a real pivotal year for me where this year has been the year where I really started to learn what my voice is on stage and what type of jokes I want to write and what types of jokes I actually enjoy doing. So because of that, this year especially, uh, I came out, I come, I came up with a good chunk of material and that I didn't add that on top of what I already had. I kind of replaced it. Uh, I'm someone who often like basically this year I like for example at the beginning of the year I came up with like a new 10 minutes and that basically became my hosting set because oftentimes when you like host at a club you'll typically do 10 minutes and instead of being like oh cool now I have 30 now I have 40 now I have 50 or whatever uh I was like oh this material is so much better than the stuff I was doing last year that I don't even want to do the stuff I was doing last year anymore. Do you ever cringe at looking at your old YouTube? Oh, 100%. Because I went deep on you, and uh, I noticed that you, you have had a lot of growth. Yeah. You're oh, at, thank you. You're at a spot right now that you look calm, comfortable, confident, and it flows real nice. Thank so, you. Yeah, it's it's definitely because I've seen – I found I actually found a DVD of a set I did back within my first year, uh, and oof. And what pissed me off, too, was that I was – because, like, when I first started stand-up, uh, I had a, a decent amount of confidence on stage because I was usually doing stand-up in front of people I knew. So I had a good support system. And in the first couple of years I was here, I lost all of my confidence on stage, and I just had to spend three years rebuilding my confidence. Uh, and then I want to say – this year and the past year, I've really started to gain my confidence back. So, like, there's definitely those moments where, like, I see older sets and I'm just like, Ugh. like, I can't believe, one, that I got laughs with those jokes as well as, like, what was I doing on stage? Like, I used to be very standstill, very monotone, no yeah, emotion. Yeah. Whereas now I'm very vibrant. I feel like I'm vibrant. I, I'm, I'm charismatic. I'm more of myself on stage 
And it's definitely one, it's old, like when you see an old video, it is kind of nice to immediately notice your growth. Yeah, change is good. And you're just like, oh, I am getting, because sometimes you're like, am I getting better at this? And then you see they like, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting better at this. Because looking at this video, this video is shit. Uh, and what can I do to make sure no one else sees this video at Scrub all? the internet. Because <laughs> that's always kind of a fear when, when yeah. people are like, oh, I looked you up and I saw your stuff. And you just want to be like, okay, so that is old. <laughs> Yeah, that's why you got to keep producing new new stuff. Exactly, yeah. and and that's that's why that's what happened to Dice. You know, he he went out and everybody knew his nursery rhymes mm -hmm. in major stadiums, and it just drove him nuts. He could never get to the punchline, and then he had to start changing the punchline to uh, you know audiences, so it was always fresh. I, he had the misdirection of the material, and back then, you know, you get an album of Eddie Murphy Delirious or mm -hmm. or the Dice Man Cometh. And everybody would know and listen to all that material, and then you'd go to the show and it'd be the exact copy of the material on the on the record. Right. And then they would play sold out shows. It's like you know, play the hits. Right? Yeah. For musical artists, and that that just wears thin. Got a quick question for you. Yeah. Do you ever tell a joke with a punchline? And some part of the buildup is funnier than the punchline, and you never saw that coming. Oh, one hundred percent. There's definitely there's definitely times where like, and it usually happens when you're you're doing a show in front of a crowd that like they're a hot crowd, like they are there, they are one hundred and ten percent there for comedy. They're ready to have a good time. They're already having a good time, and like those type of crowds, you, sometimes you'll be saying a setup, and then they laugh. And you're just like, that's not even the punchline. And sometimes two things can happen from that point where you're just like, oh, if you're on that on board with the setup, you're going to love the punchline. And you say the punchline and they're like hella on board and the joke kills. Or sometimes you do the setup, they're super on board and then you say the punchline and they were more on board with the setup than they were with the punchline. And those are weird moments because you're like, okay. What went wrong? Like, I'm glad you laugh, but you laughed at the wrong part. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes like if it's a joke that's old and you know works sometimes like all right well whatever it's just a weird instance and you because you already know the joke works whereas if it's a new joke and you're trying out sometimes it can give you false confidence because sometimes you can think uh, the joke is better than what it, really it actually is, is. Uh, there's often times where like whether it's a mic or a show and a comic's like i'm gonna try a new joke and they do it and if it's a really hot crowd they'll come off they're like cool it's good to know this joke works. That said, that was a very hot crowd. So it's probably not as good as what I think it is. But it's good to know that if a crowd was hot, the joke works. But at the same time, or it's like on the, vice versa. If you're with a crowd that doesn't like anything and you tell that new joke and you get some sort of reaction, you're like, okay, something is here. Because this crowd isn't giving anybody anything, but I was able to get some sort of reaction. You ever had that night where just nobody's in the mood? Nobody's oh, oh yeah. It it's what do you what happens in what goes through your mind when that happens? It's so at first I remember like past couple of years I would definitely be like I would just I would quit on stage. Like I would just you can just see me lose confidence on stage, and just I would power through the jokes. It's always very important to power through. Like don't if you give up on your joke why do you think the crowd's right not going to give up on you uh 
So it's important to, you know, power through and just tell that joke. Because you know, there's times where a crowd is a bad crowd. You're doing the setup, no laughs. You're doing your tags, no laughs. But then when you get to that final punchline, they do laugh. So, like, sometimes if you quit, you're going to rob yourself of that of that payoff at the end. Uh, you got to put it into work. Exactly. Uh, but I would say now if I'm if I'm doing a, a show and the crowd's giving me nothing, uh, it, it will get, depending on where I am, and what type of show it is, I will go from being like just like pressing play and doing my stuff to just being like, all right, you know what? Then if I'm going to go down, if I'm going to, you know, if this set's not going to go the way I want, I'm going to have fun. So I just start fucking around on stage. So you start attacking audience members? I, 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 like you're with him? <laughs> So I'll I'll hold back from attacking audiences unless it's like someone's being super shitty. So you ever had a bad bad heckler? Like be funny? I actually Hey man, be funny. Tell a joke. That actually happened recently. Uh this past Wednesday. I was at the comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I was at the comedy underground in Pioneer Square and Historic Club. Historic clubs, uh, a lot of history there. Um, and I was just, I just finished doing my preliminary week of uh, Seattle International Comedy Competition. So at that point, I was kind of like briefly fatigued of doing material. So I really just wanted to get on stage and just be loose and have fun before I had to keep doing the same material again, back to back to back to back. Uh, so I was just fucking around on stage. Uh, I was having a good time. I was riffing. Uh, I was just engaging with the audience. And it was going well. Uh, everything was a uh, good time. And then uh, there sometimes if you write up top at the beginning of your set, if you riff or joke or not do your jokes. It'll ruin your whole set. Won't it'll it? ruin your whole set. Because then if you go into jokes, people are like, we don't want to. We don't want to. Like, this feels disingenuous hmm. like people can because you can you want to be relatable exactly well because like you people have can funny tell, co-worker that i work with you know or my aunt uncle exactly whatever. like people can tell when you're going from oh i'm in the moment to like you pressing play on a tape and sometimes that's fine but if you've been just messing around for too much then it becomes more obvious that you're like switching modes and sometimes it doesn't work as well so because of that, I was messing around for too long, and then I pointed out on stage in a playful way. I was just like, oh, well, I made the mistake of riffing too much. It's going to be hard to get into jokes. And then basically this guy in the audience yells out, tell us a joke. That's what we're here for. And in that moment, like... Did you pe- freeze? Like, thankfully, at that point, like, the crowd liked me, and they were on board with me. So it wasn't like I was bombing, and then someone was like... It's just that joke. one guy. It was just that one guy, and, like, I couldn't even get upset because, like, he's right. Mm-hmm. They paid money to hear jokes. They didn't pay money to see me come or, like, one, they didn't pay to see me. They came to a show. I was on the show. They want to laugh. Yeah, and laugh. And uh, they paid to hear jokes. Like, they didn't pay to just see comics not really try. Uh, and it was just one of those, like, well, damn, like, I can't. <laughs> you're right. Like, you're not wrong. I should be doing jokes. Uh, and I tried to pivot into doing jokes. Um, and it ended up working, but it wasn't working as well 
as when I was just messing around. Uh, but when you riff like that, doesn't it mess it up for the, the next comedian to come on after you? It can't. It can't. So that's why often if you're doing something like hosting, it's best to not riff. And it's especially best to try not to in, to interact with the crowd because then, especially if you're hosting, right up top, what you're doing is you're setting a precedence that says, oh, y'all can just say shit to whoever is on stage and it's fine. And usually that's something that you want to reserve that right for whoever's headlining because then they can like they're they're the main star like they can do whatever they want if they want to interact with the crowd or have the crowd interact with them that's fine because they're headlining who gives a fuck but like if you're not the main person then it's kind of disrespectful to those who are following you whereas if it's a showcase and everyone's on the same level it's not as disrespectful because at the end of the day oftentimes showcases have different types of comics with different types of styles so in those instances, I wouldn't say it's disrespectful. I would say it's more it becomes more on then on the, the next comedian to be like, okay, cool, I, I just have to follow this. Now, if you're cool with the other comics on the show and you know about what their styles are and you know like, oh, I'm someone who if I interact with a lot, the crowd's going to want that from the next person. And the next person, ha- they're just a joke person. They're not... I don't want to interact with you. I just do my jokes. Like, you shouldn't be a dick. Like, you should try to, like, you set yourself up for success. But theoretically, a good comic also sets up the rest of the show for success. Or at least that's the type of comic I want to be. Like, I want to do well, but then I also want to make sure that everyone else does well. You ever force yourself to do a clean set? Yeah. Like, for example, one of the nights uh, for the competition was a clean night. Can't swear. Or there's times where I have to do clean shows. Uh, or there's like there was one show I did out in um, like south of Tacoma. I forget what it was. It was like a smaller city, and it was a ch- a show in a church, and <laughs> that's a bad recipe. And I had to do 15 minutes of completely clean comedy, and not only was it that it was clean comedy, it was in a church, and it was just uh, it ended up being super fun, uh, and I ended up having a great time. But there's definitely those instances where like as a comic, like you should definitely focus on being funny first uh, and then worry about being clean. But there is, depending on how workable you want to be. I'd heard the opposite, that you need to work. If you want to be funny, Mm -hmm. you got to bust out the clean stuff first and learn to work around that. Mm -hmm. Because as you can tell already, we're pretty loose with the language. Mm -hmm. And that comes naturally to us. Being... That kid in church <laughs> trying to tell jokes, I'm not. I'm going to bomb there mm-hmm. for sure. So it's more difficult. So I'd have to hone my craft, right? Because it's a it's a more difficult palette for me to to do. Right. I I would say yes. Uh, I guess you look at it both ways, right? Right. It's definitely a, a mixture of both in the sense where, because like if you're just swearing for the sake of swearing in a joke. Like, then that can turn off people. Right. Uh, and just like how I was saying earlier where, like, every word should matter. Like, if you're going to have a joke that's dirty, like, if you're using a swear as a punctuation rather than a necessity, then that's not good. Uh, that's pointless. But if, like, a joke requires that swear, 
then, you know, in my opinion, that's fine. That being said, I see the other side of the argument where I think it was Jerry Seinfeld. He was talking about a joke where um, he had a joke, I think it was about Superman. And the punchline used, I forget, I think it was like fuck or something, some sort of swear. And he tried doing the joke without the swear and it never worked as well. So because of that, he didn't want to do the joke anymore because he didn't want to do a joke that required a swear or required something like that. Uh, so I see both sides because at the end of the day, if you want to be workable, you want to be or if you want to be more bookable, it, it helps to be able if someone approaches you like, hey, here's a show, but you have to be clean. You should be able to then be able to be like, yeah, I can do that. I can give you 15 clean. I can give you 20. I can give you 10, whatever. Uh, if you're, I mean, that said, you could be a comic and you're like, I never want to do a clean show. I never want to be clean. That's fine. But then that's going to make it harder for you down the road if you want to be on TV. Uh, so explain the Bob Saget thing to me. He's on Full House, Mr. <laughs> clean, and then he's like on America's Funniest Videos hosting mm-hmm. that or whatever. And then you go to his comedy show and there's not a clean word in it. <laughs> and it's like so over the top. Right. And he's still bookable. And I, you know, he, I swear a lot, but mm-hmm. he, Bob Saget makes me blush, you know, when, <laughs> when I don't blush. Mm-hmm. How does he get work? It's, I definitely, I think it's also like, I think, I think if you're just able to turn on the switch, because mm. I think that's what he's able to do. Where like like when he had auditions or something, he was able to show like yes, he, I'm yeah. on stage and I'm dirty, but when you need me to be that, oh I'm a clean little Mormon dad or like some shit like that, uh, he can like he can flip that switch. Yeah, kind of like Cosby too, you know, exactly. American father, and then kids say the darndest things. He's yeah, interviewing five year olds, and then the next minute he's raping women. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I got a switch, and it's five o'clock. I'm off. <laughs> His switch is he's a monster. Bob Saget's switch is that he just swears a lot. Uh, or like, oh, who's another? He's ex- another Drake though. Doesn't he have like a twenty year old wife, and he's knocking I, on? It wouldn't surprise AARP me. I know door. <laughs> I know I because I, I never knew that about Bob Saget, and then I remember he had his roast. And like in the intro, they were just talking about like that was tough. <laughs> <laughs> that was like Rodney Dangerfield meets you know the year two thousand fifty. I don't know. That moment for me was me finding out. Oh my god! Like the we aren't what we. <laughs> I I thought seen. this man was just like I go I I wake up I did full house I went home I wore a sweater and took a nap and then yeah. turns out no this guy does drugs and. Yeah, he's nuts, nuts, but, nuts, nuts. But yeah, I would say, uh, like, like people like him, or there's, or that, that's often like, for example, Donald Glover, uh, who mm-hmm. was on Community, um, now known as the Childish Gambino. Gambino. Um, he's talented, man. He's oh, he can dance too, right? It's frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's he's frustrating because it's like yeah, that's not fair that you're that yeah. good at that many things. Like you can't pick one, <laughs> pick a lane. Yeah. Well, you, you think about. P- performance kids and you're at the bpa this tuesday night performing mm-hmm. most of the people that are in drama they're also playing a musical instrument mm-hmm. and they're also going to a dance class and the old style of tv and movies you know can you sing and dance are you shirley temple you know are you right. Judy garland are you um fred astaire right you know, he's acting he's singing he's dancing in the rain 
he's got the trifecta. And right. That was kind of the standard. And, and now it's like, you can just do comedy or you can just do dance or you can just sing. But then again, the Gambino comes and flips it. Yeah, well, I would say if you're so insanely good at that one thing, then you can just do that one thing. But then oftentimes, a lot of comics, excuse me, who they move down to L.A. or New York and they're trying to get into the industry, they're often told, like, oh, you do stand-up, but what else do you do? Like, you're you're not, people don't want people, or it's not often that, like, networks or people like that are like, oh, you only do this one thing, perfect. It's like, okay, you do stand-up, but do you write for TV? Oh, do you yeah. have a social following? Do you have this? Do you have that? And so I would say that multifaceted type of artist's is, uh, is still a requirement and it makes you more it, it allows like for example networks if that's what you're trying to go down is that's that's what they look for where it's just like we want a one-stop shop because we don't want to pay for someone to be funny on camera but then we have to pay someone separately like if you can like be funny on camera and write cool perfect yeah, you, you look at some of the best actors are the the ones that are working the most like tom hanks he was mm-hmm. comedian steve carroll steve martin Mm-hmm. You know, Will Ferrell, not that he's acting too much out of his normal personality. Right. But, you know, you look at him, he can play a piano in some of those skits and, right. and do some things that are pretty pretty darn creative and, and always be that chameleon. Right. It's it's definitely an expectation of, like, you have to be a jack of all trades, but then at the same time you have to be the ace of those trades. Or you have to be as good because, like, if you're, like – like kind of, kind of like Will Ferrell, where it's just like you're—he's really good at that type of acting style, that comedy style. Uh, he was also just a really funny person, so he could write. But then, as well as like having those like skills as well, like yeah, playing like an instrument or something like that, adds to it. Just like hey, I'm able to do all of these things, and I'm also good at all of these things. Like I can make it seem like this is what I'm an expert at. Yeah, shout out to Robin Williams too. You know, he—he he was that guy too. Yeah, shout out uh, Robin Williams who. That was like one of the few celebrity deaths that actually hit you. hit me. Yeah. Cause like most of the time when a celebrity dies, nothing against them. Like I don't know them personally. Right. I enjoyed their work, but like they weren't at the crib for the family barbecue. So yeah. why am I my Tuesday's fine? Like I'm still gonna tweet fight videos. But like Robin Williams, that was that was one where I was just like, damn. Who are some of the comics that have inspired you or you look up to? I would say my all time fave. Uh, that I think when I say inspire, just more in the sense of like inspires me of how like what comedy looks like when you're that good is Chappelle. Love, love Chappelle. Um, I'm Rick James, bitch. <laughs> yeah, it's like Chappelle show, Rick James, the whole Rick James set, or Shout Prince when he's yeah. Prince. He's just like, <laughs> you want some grapes, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> when they're playing basketball, you want to go skins or blouses? <laughs> Game blouses. <laughs> Love those like so. I heard a, a Charlie Murphy story um, that him and Eddie went over to Prince's to to hang out and stuff. And Prince played at, he had a gym in, in mm-hmm. uh, Paisley Park there, and he asked him if they wanted to play basketball. And uh, Charlie Murphy was like, "Nah, the Smurf ain't gonna <laughs> take me, man." And, and then that's how that whole skit 
uh, busted so out. But they said Prince busted their ass. It's it's no, it's a legit one hundred percent true story. Prince was very good at basketball, and they were hanging out one day, and they play a game of basketball. And Charlie Murphy's like, "Oh my god, this like this cat can ball. Like this, this guy's got a blouse on, and he's beating me. <laughs> like it's a true dead ass story." Uh, and Prince, Prince, great at music, great at basketball, and I think th- I think it's so great that uh, Prince, because like, you look at Prince, you wouldn't think uh, that he would be good at basketball, but he is. I don't know. He's kind of my god. Yeah, pr- my god. My favorite. Uh, I was, I I think I was. Uh, I know I'm probably gonna lose a lot of respect. Uh, I I never really listened to Prince. <laughs> That's so funny that you <laughs> thought you had respect. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Uh, but uh, one when he did die, the uh, one of the fake because people were talking about different Prince stories and encounters. And I think my favorite one that I read was where this DJ was at this club, and Prince was at the club, and DJ's just playing typical rap music, and Prince goes up to the DJ booth, and he's just like, "I didn't come out to this club to hear all this cussing." <laughs> He told him to change the songs. I think this is the most badass shit. Or you can just go to a DJ like, I didn't come here to listen to all this cussing. You need to change the song. There's great stories about him, for sure. Like, he'd go into Denny's late night and just sit down with somebody that just got off shift and ask him about their life and do his little Grand Slam stack. And Prince. Take the time. When I hear stuff like that about Prince, uh, I just realized he was, he was like the king of, like, doing whatever you wanted to do. Like he just did stuff and he didn't give a shit about what other people thought or if it was like a social norm. Cause like nowadays, like if you get off work and a customer was like, Hey, I want to talk to you about your life, you're like, No, I'm going home and catching up on Stranger Things. I don't want to talk to you. But like, I mean, yeah, obviously it was Prince. So like who wouldn't sit down and talk to Prince? But like Prince was just the king of that, of just like doing stuff, doing him. Yeah, I mean, he turned music video into a movie, you know, with yeah. Purple Rain and Under the Cherry Moon. Both were just, you know, being a high school kid, Purple Rain came out. It was mm-hmm. just like, I couldn't see anybody more more balling than Prince, for sure. And uh, those were good times, you know, and he always had the high heels going and mm-hmm. the hair and the blouse and the chest hair. And, Michael and, also did that, where it was like his music videos were like many movies. Or I don't know if like I'm thriller just mis- for sure. Yeah, like yeah. thriller or like there was the one where it was like in the haunted house and everyone was ghosts or some shit like that. The Egyptians turn into dust. Yeah, you know, the Egyptian big, that was another one. Big productions back then. Yeah, Michael Jackson music videos, man. I don't know if but you- Prince also tried to get out of Warner Brothers. He thought he was a slave to the record industry. He mm-hmm. was like the original Macklemore owning his own catalog yeah that's why for the longest uh, like i know when he passed like pe- like people were like don't stream his stuff on like on the streaming stuff because that's yeah. not what prince wanted it's like, disrespectful yeah prince didn't want his stuff on the streaming like platforms uh i feel it, for it all these bands you know i was listening to a podcast with aerosmith and they were saying they don't make money off music they mm-hmm. make money off t- selling the t-shirt at the venue yeah and, and and nothing else really. Everything else just pays for the cost of doing doing music. It's it's funny how like, it's like how, no, like before there was that 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 phase where everyone's like I'm downloading music illegally, and then now because of these streaming platforms, no one's really downloading stuff illegally as much anymore. Uh, it's more just like oh I'm just gonna stream like it's so much easier to just stream it on Spotify or Apple Music, but then. 
like, but people still aren't buying. Uh, and because of that, uh, like Spotify barely pays the artists. Apple yeah. barely pays the artists. That's why Tidal, Tidal is the one who pays the artists the most, but no one wants to switch to Tidal because they already have Apple Music or Spotify. SoundCloud uh, or Pandora. Yeah. And then as well as like- uh, Artists are getting hosed. Or it's definitely like there's comics I know that they make an album and then they release it and they're like, oh, please buy my album. But then they have to add that factor of like, all right, because I know you're a bunch of cheap fucks. Like, I know you're not going to buy my album. So it's also on Spotify. It's also on this and it's that. And it's just like, yeah, they got kind of got robbed of that money they could have made. But we've been robbing artists since, you know, the 70s when we took a record and uh, recorded on it tape cassette oh yeah and then pass it to your friends and then the quality would just keep going down the road but everybody would have a tape off the one one album that was bought in right the neighborhood yeah it's no one really truly is like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna oh i buy my favorite artist's music okay yeah but are you like that's great and all but you're still doing stuff where you're not fully like i'm gonna go out of my way financially to support you. Right. When we went to the Macklemore concert in Kirina this year, we bought his CDs right right from the concert, you know, because okay. I knew the money was going straight to him. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I appreciate it. Um, he was at Garfield. I worked at Garfield for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's a local kid. I want him to do well. And I enjoy his music. You know, mm -hmm. Seth Rogen, you know, you can eat a whole bag of it. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a... He, you don't have to put him in a, he's a rapper or a white rapper or, you know, he's just a musician out there performing and his performance mm -hmm. is off the, off the chains. It's, mm -hmm. He dropped down from the ceiling doing that Willy Wonka song in full Willy Wonka gear, just killing it. And I was like, that's got to take so much, you know, um, planning and, and have that wiring and the costume change. And he didn't miss, and he, you know, he raps fast. Mm -hmm. He goes real fast, and the quality of the show is almost two hours, and it was this hitting, 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 hitting. It's great stuff, and it's it's so weird because that was such a big uh, production, and you look at him, and he's one of these guys that kind of owns and does his own thing, and then the next concert we went to was Khalid, and oh, okay, he is basically just him, a turntable. Mm -hmm. Couple girl dancers, big smile on his face, just slaying songs that he played around, you know, the garage band at home and put mm -hmm. on the internet and came up that way. And, you know, everything's something that he created and, and owns himself as well. So I like to support that new new style. Right. It's just like this podcast. You know, I'm not NBC's not backing this. Mm -hmm. It it's mine. I have my own platform to broadcast and share this type of stuff. And it's 100% my responsibility and 100% my control. And it's something I can be proudful about because from start to finish, I've done it. Right. Right. I got the equipment, learned the equipment, found the guest, recorded it, published it, edited it, you know, blast out there. Here comes the hype. Speaking of hype, <laughs> I got to get you hyped up. I got to get all of Bainbridge Island out to the BPA Tuesday night to see you perform. Tell us about this competition. It's 38th or 39th year of the Seattle International Comedy. Do you get paid for this if you win it? You get a big prize, go to Disneyland, anything like that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, this is the 39th annual uh, Seattle International Comedy Competition. Every year they have it. Uh, comedians from all around the world apply. Uh, some people who have, some famous people who have done it in the past, like 
the most famous is Mitch Hedberg. He won it one year. Um, what's her face? Uh, Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, I, she didn't win it, but she got second one year. Uh, a lot of greats have done it. Uh, a lot of previous greats, as well as a lot of people who are on their way to be the next big thing. Like uh, Preacher Lawson won it two years ago. And he was on America's Got Talent, and he's just blowing up right now. Um, Josh Wolf, I think, was in it. Yeah, yeah, he's been in it. Uh, a lot of great. Uh, there's a lot of people who done it and didn't do well. Pat Oswald never moved on from the preliminaries. Um, who else? Mystery Space 2000. There's uh, a lot of great people have done it. Uh, it's a very prestigious uh, competition. And if you win it all, I forget how much, it's like thousands that you win, as well as a headlining weekend at the Comedy Underground. Uh, but I want to say there's also a prize, even if you just like make it to the semifinals. Participation ribbon? Yeah, like a participation <laughs> ribbon. Uh, but yeah, uh, so basically every year, 32 comics, uh, there'll be two preliminary weeks, and 32 comics, 16 in each week, uh, and they'll do venues all it's basically like a touring competition so they'll have shows here in seattle so like on the preliminary week on my week uh there was two shows in seattle and then there was a show in kelso uh there was a show in auburn and then a show in everett um and then this preliminary week that just happened there was two shows in seattle one in north bend one in on Whidbey island and then one in auburn uh and then for the semifinals, it's going to be uh, Bainbridge is going to be the first uh, night. So come on out. Help us have a great first night of the semifinals. And then after that, it's going to be Edmonds. Third night is going to be in I want Olympia. Uh, fourth night is going to be in Longview. And then the fifth and final night of the semifinals is going to be in Bellingham. How many how many comics are we down to now in the semifinals? Sixteen. So? so now we're down to ten. So each preliminary week we'll start with sixteen, and then basically the top five of that week will move on to the semifinals. So then now it's going to be ten, battling to be the top five, and then five will go on to the finals, and then finals obviously, uh, one person wins it all. Uh, each week, during each week, each night you can place top five. Uh, and then it's basically an overall, like the points you did based off the judges. Rank voting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, ranking helps, and you get a certain score if you if you rank. Uh, so like if you get first, you'll uh, you'll get this many points. I uh, got you. I follow. Yeah, and uh, so when I did my preliminary week, first night I got third. Uh, second night in Auburn, uh, did not place. Uh, third night in Kelso, I got first. Fourth night in Everett, I got I tied for fourth, and then the fifth night I did not place, but uh, I still had a good overall score to where I got third overall for the week. So now I'm moving on to the semifinals, and then I was the only local of my week to move on. Uh, and then for this preliminary week that just finished last night, uh, one local, Bo Johnson, shout out to Bo, uh, he moved on as well. So we're the only two locals. Uh, and when you say local, what neighborhood do you live in? So I live in Queen Anne, but I just mean in Seattle in general. Uh, so my week there was, I want to say, including myself, four locals. I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Four or five. And then for this uh, preliminary week that just happened, there was uh, four locals. 
So out of a total of like eight to ten, only two have moved on. Uh, but we're going to be repping the area. We got comics from Vancouver. We got comics from – so my preliminary week, we had comics from Vancouver, Toronto, um, California, like L.A., uh, Bel- Bellingham here. Whereas the second preliminary week, we have comics from like – oh, and also Spokane. Uh, and second preliminary week, we have comics from Spokane, Vancouver, London, L.A., uh, there's one comic who came from Tokyo, um, and uh, basically it's like, like the international is just not some fancy little slub. Like we we do got like international comics coming out here, and just killing it. And show uh, starts at six or seven. Show starts. Uh, I want to say show starts at seven. Let me. Yeah, we'll we'll put it in the links. No, yeah. No bother. Uh, but yeah, I want to say the show starts uh, at seven. It's going to be at the Performing Arts Center here, uh, and I highly recommend uh, if if you're listening to this, come out because not even for me, I would say uh, come out because these are ten comics who are who are all capable of winning it all, and it's just a it's going to be just just a great show, and it's a, it's going to be a great comedy show, and you're going to be seeing comics give their A plus stuff, and. It's. I mean, what better to do on a Tuesday night than you know have a great laugh? And it's gonna be it's gonna be a great time. And obviously, comedy shows are always better when it's just stacked. So bring your friends, bring your family, bring your enemies, uh, bring your lovers, uh, bring the person, your mistresses, your or your what's the male version of mistress? Ho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring your <laughs> bring bring who you fucking. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's. It's going to be a great show. I'm just looking up the exact time so I can tell it proper. But it's definitely going to be uh it's been it's been a blast to do. There's been a lot of talented comics. Everyone I feel like has proved their worth and like there was no like oh I can't believe this person got onto comp like gotcha. everyone brought their stuff. Everyone was a contender and it's just been a great year for it. And uh this Tuesday at the Performing Arts Center uh, once this page loads, um, it ain't. We're in the dungeon down here. Uh, it's gonna be. It's gonna be great. Uh, you can get your tickets online. In fact, if you go to the Ticket Seattle, Master, right? Hmm? On Ticketmaster. So uh, it's probably either Eventbrite or Brown Paper Bag. But if you go to the SeattleComedyCompetition.org uh, and go to the semifinals, that's where you'll find all of the information for the semifinals. Uh, so Seed Advisor is what it's going to be on. But the show is going to start at 7.30. All right, all right. Get at the Bainbridge there. Performing Arts Center. Uh, I highly recommend uh, come. If you if you liked everything that I've said, you should come out and see me. If you didn't like anything I said, you could come out and see me compete against other people who you'll probably like. But it's going to be a great show. A lot of great comics on it. Uh Every night that we've done, when we've gone to the place, the guy who runs it has been told by people, like, this has been one of the best shows I've seen. And good, good, good. And one thing I would say, too, is, like, not only, like, this, but I would just say, like, support local comedy in general because you have a very good chance of seeing someone who, in a couple years, become something big. And then everyone loves that work. Like you always hear people like, "Oh, you you know Prince? I saw Prince when he was playing coffee shops." Like you can have that opportunity Tuesday night. 
seeing like, oh, you know that person who just got that HBO special? Yeah, a couple years ago, I saw them in the comedy competition. And like, these are all people who I think have the potential of becoming something. Like, if we didn't have that potential, we wouldn't be this far. So it's definitely like come out because you are seeing you are seeing that potential next class of comedy or you're seeing people who are really have a bright future ahead of them. And why not get there when it's cheaper? You know, because uh, I know people are like, oh, well, I want to see the comedy, but like seeing them in a theater is so expensive. Well, it's just like there's cheaper comedy and it's local. Like, come support that. Uh, you don't don't wait for someone to be big to then support them like come out see these comics everyone's gonna kill it on tuesday it's gonna be a great show 7 30 performing arts center uh if you don't come you're gonna be missing out nice and you can say you knew christopher back on the day when he was on the bystander podcast exactly before you bounce tell me about stoop king's podcast yes uh so that title cracks me up (laughs) thank you uh i'm a co-host of a podcast with another comic uh, Abraham Tedesso, uh, we run the Stoop Kings podcast where we just kind of just, it's just us being goofy and silly and just talking about random shit uh, as well as uh, we we always have comics on the show. So we often talk about what they're doing with their careers as well as uh, just the art itself, doing comedy, our experiences, excuse me, uh, on it, it. It's available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and... SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Yeah, that's all of them. Uh, it's available on all of those platforms. Uh, we've had a lot of great locals on the podcast. We've also had, I would say the biggest name that we've gotten as a guest is uh, Jack Knight, who he is a writer for Netflix's Big Mouth. Yeah, that's a good series. That's the animated series. On yeah. Netflix, right? So he's a writer for that show, as well as he's the voice of Devon or Devin on that show, as well as he just had a Netflix 15 special. Uh, so uh, we've had him on. We have a lot of great locals on. It's a good podcast. Let's just check it out. <laughs> I just I feel weird saying like, oh yeah, my own podcast is good. Check it. Like it's like I'm giving my own review, but uh, sell that shit. Yeah, uh, it's a good it's good ass time. Uh, it's, it's and it's definitely uh, check it out. Subscribe, review. That would be dope. Well, Christopher, I appreciate you coming in here to Studio 15. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's nice to get off the politics for a while and, <laughs> and talk to a comic. Is uh, that what you usually talk about? I try to do so- social and cultural change okay. uh, issues, local and in Seattle and the Kitsap Peninsula. Just talk to interesting people mm-hmm. with interesting ideas, hobbies, thoughts, and uh, just keep it moving. Nice. I feel like uh, I, f- I feel like you're, most of your stuff is probably like very like, oh, this feels like NPR. And then I just came on to talk about date ju- da- Drake dating children. <laughs> yes. Same thing. I mean, NPR is just a little slow in the news cycle. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes we don't have real issues to talk about. You just got to bring on someone like me to talk about farts and shit. Yeah. Hey, Drake, here's an open invitation. If you want to rebuttal, come on down. <laughs> Christopher will be back and uh, we'll go at you. Come on, Drake. You lost your beef to Pilsha Tees, so why don't you bounce back and fight with me? Let's have some verbal confrontation. Drake sounds like a duck from Canada. (laughs) (laughs) All right, people. You've been listening to The Bystander. We're out. Thanks, Chris. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.